0: You know, so much of prayer is simply reminding God of His promises. That's not because God forgets. You know, it's not like He's up there going, "What did you say?" You know, and, and you know, I, I, oh, that's right, I said, I take care of you, okay. You know, that, that's not why we we remind God of His promises. God doesn't forget, but but we tend to stand on other sources of hope, don't we? And when we remind God of His promises, it reminds us of His promises. And, and we find a place to stand firmly, you know. Jacob had connived and swindled his way to prosperity, but now he makes it clear that none of those options are working right now. His best hope is God's promise. God's promise to
1: him.
0: And see what God is not. The thing is, is that we we we, we kind of we throw that in God's face. You know, you've not been as good as we are, and God's going. I'm not even looking for you to be good. What I'm looking for is honest humility, honest humility. The honest humility that Jacob shows here, that he might shower his grace, his unmerited favor upon the undeserving, and that's the gospel, that's that's why it's good news, you know? It's good
1: news. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. I'm your host, Nate Elliott, as we join Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Genesis. Last time in Genesis, we saw Jacob and Uncle Laban came to an agreement that divided the family forever. Jacob is now on his way back to the land of his fathers, but he will find a new challenge, his twin brother that he had betrayed years earlier. We join Pastor Will in Genesis chapter 32, verse 1.
0: Jacob has survived his final run-in with Laban, and now it's a free-run home to his family or not. <laughs> because that's right. And the last time he'd been home, he had to run off because his brother Esau was plotting to kill him. So while Laban's in the rear view mirror, there is this unknown thing lurking in front of him. And, and with that looming unknown of, of Esau's response to his homecoming, Jacob is faced with an important reality. God might have taken care of Laban, but he was still Jacob. That's the problem. He's still Jacob. And that name carried a lot of baggage with it, you know? A lot of baggage that he's yet to face up to. And in confronting Esau, Jacob is really actually confronted with himself. And so as we see God give him a new name and a new life, it reminds us that God has given us a new name and new life to live surrendered to him. So, Genesis 32. Verse one. And Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, "This is God's host." And he called the name of that place Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau his brother, unto the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, "Thus shall you speak unto my lord Esau. Thy servant Jacob says thus: I have sojourned with Laban and stayed there until now, and I have oxen, and donkeys, and flocks, and men servants, and women servants." And I have sent to tell my Lord that I may find grace in thy sight. Well, this chapter kind of starts off with a bang. and, and You know, you, you get there, and all of a sudden, you've, and Jacob met some angels. You know, it just kind of just comes out and says it. After Laban heads home, Jacob runs right into a group of angels. Now, what is really interesting about this little tiny section of Scripture is that it just says it matter-of-factly like it's no big deal, you know? Kind of like, oh yeah, he went to the Walmart, had talked to a few angels, came home, you know? It doesn't mention it as anything unique or special or anything that weirded him out or flipped him out. It just says it happened. Now, it's possible that Jacob was the only one who actually saw them. Maybe that's why it wasn't that big a deal. Maybe God opened his eyes and he saw them and maybe that's why. We don't know. But Jacob's reaction shows what he's thinking when he sees them. It says that when Jacob saw them, and the word met there doesn't mean they actually hung out. It just means they encountered. They were, they were coming toward him as he was going this way, and they, they, they found a place that was a meeting point. So when Jacob saw them, which is why I don't think they talked or anything, he said, well, this is God's host, or this is God's army. And he called the name of that place Mahanaim, which means two armies. You know, Laban had gathered a bunch of folks to chase Jacob down, right? He had his own little army, but God had his army right there protecting Jacob and his family. And that shows us a couple things. First off, it shows how real the threat of Laban to Jacob was. That Laban really intended to kill Jacob. He was going to find some reason to kill him and take his daughters and take his you know, grandkids and take all his possessions back. And, and it's almost like as you know Jacob kind of wipes you know, his brow, and, all right, we got out of that one, now let's head home. And he runs into the angels and the Lord's like, I had your back the whole time, the whole time. I was there. Whatever army he brought after you, I had my own army right there protecting you. And what an encouragement that is to us when it seems like we're outnumbered and it feels like it's overwhelming and it seems like everyone's against us and the Lord says, I've got your back, you know? I'm protecting you, I'm watching over you. But secondly, I think it's interesting that he meets angels because in Bethel, if you remember, the place where he fell asleep and he built the, he had the dream of the ladder with the angels going up and down the ladder, that vision uh, he had that vision of that God was continuing to do his work. God's work was still going on despite all of Jacob's mess-ups. And I think what the Lord lets him see, these angels, is because God is showing him, Hey, Jacob, I'm still at work watching over you, just like I promised. Every step of the way, I've been over uh, watching over you, just like I promised. Now, when I think of Jacob's unwillingness to claim God as his own up to this point... It makes me wonder, well, God, why do you protect him like this? Or why, do you, why do you bless a guy like this? You know, I mean, he doesn't claim you. He's the God of my father, the fear of Isaac. I mean, he, you know, he, he doesn't claim you. And, and yet you're, you're so for him and you're, you're, you're protecting him and watching him over him every step of the way. But as I ask those questions, I start turning it on myself. And I say, why do you protect me? And I can be so stubborn and selfish and ungrateful. Do you realize how faithful God is to you? how much he loves you how good he has been you know he sends these majestic beings to watch over us in the midst of all our own shortcomings you know hebrews 114 it, it talks about how that's their function that's their task their job you know they are ministering spirits hebrews 1 verse 14 says are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation that's us we're the ones who have inherited salvation. We're the ones who have heaven that we're looking forward to. And he has sent them as servants to take care of us. You know, you ever had those moments where you just kind of narrowly dodge, you know, something comes j- jumping out on the road, and you, you know, you get out of the way or, or sometimes, you know, somebody slams on the brakes and, and you just happen to end up seeing it right, you know, right at that moment, because you were looking away or somebody's talking to you and you see it and you catch it just in time. And you think if I didn't catch it right at that moment, I'd, I'd probably be in trouble right now. Yeah, it was probably, you know, you're probably talking to somebody next to you and the angel's like, Phew, you know, and the Lord is so faithful. Truly God is love and his grace is amazing. Well, it leaves us there just with that comfort of, of him reminding Jacob, I got your back. It's okay. I'm with you. And then in verse three, we get back to the problem now that he's facing. He's left Laban behind, but now he's got home to look forward to. and And, you know, word must have reached Jacob that while he was in Haran, that Esau had moved to this hilly region of Seir, which is south and east of the Dead Sea. And and you think, you know, Jacob says, you know, he sends messengers before him to Esau's brother, to the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, this is what you'll say unto my my lord Esau. Say, your servant, make sure you say that, your servant, (laughs) Jacob, says, I've sojourned with Jacob, and I've stayed there up to this point until now, and I have all this stuff. Now, why would Jacob tell his messengers to inform Esau, your servant doesn't need anything. Your servant has plenty of wealth. I'm I'm fine on my own. Well, Remember, Jacob had lived most of his life taking things from Esau, right? That's how he lived most of his life. That's the only way Esau really knew him. And he wanted his brother to know there was nothing to worry about with me coming home. I have everything I need. I'm not coming to take a single thing from you. And so, verse 6, the plot thickens. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau and also he comes to meet you and 400 men with him. Out of the frying pan and into the fire. <laughs> right? Whew, got an old Laban thing. you know? Oh, what'd he say? Well, he's coming to meet you. Oh, good. And he's got 400 guys with him. Maybe not so good. Now you think you just saw a bunch of angels. You might be thinking, can we get those guys to come this way now? You know, <laughs> But but he knows that God's got his back. Why doesn't Jacob rest in knowing that God's angels are right around the corner? Well, unlike the situation with Laban where Jacob had been truly wronged, Jacob knows he's earned revenge from his brother. He doesn't expect any help from those angels on this one. I I got myself into this mess. And so Jacob does what he always does. He finds a way to survive, verse 7. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, but he comes up with a plan. He divided the people that were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two bands. So he, he divides all, all his whole group into two groups now. And he said, well, if Esau comes to the one company and he attacks it, then the other company, which is left, shall escape. And that's not a good plan, Jacob, because <laughs> either way you shake that out, you lose half your family or what. I mean, this is not a good plan. And, and Jacob realizes this is a horrible plan. Is he really ready to sacrifice half of everything he has, half of all of his family, you know, in the hopes that one half will escape, that you could really get away? Laban chased him down. You think Esau can't chase him down? He hasn't come to the end of himself yet, but he doesn't know what to do. And so for the first time recorded in scripture, Jacob prays, verse nine. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, The Lord which said unto me, Return unto your country and to your kindred, and I will deal well with you. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have showed unto your servant. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two companies. Deliver me, I pray you, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children. And you said, I will surely do you good and make your seed as the sand of the sea which cannot be numbered for multitude. And so he lodged there that same night. Jacob, in this amazing prayer here, there are so many important things that we find. But the first thing is that Jacob recognizes the importance of a relationship with God. He comes to him and he says, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, you know, it seems like he starts his prayer off the same way he always talks about God. You know that 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 you know the God of my father Abraham and Isaac. You know, but, but it's not the same because he's he's talking to God now, not about God. You know, like in the past we'd say, "Oh, the God of my father." No, he says, "Oh God, the God who knew my grandfather, the God who knew knew my dad, and the God who's been trying to get to know me." You, you spoke to me. You said to me, "Return unto your country, my, your country and your kindred. Now do well with you." You've been pursuing me. There is desperation here in Jacob's words. he says, you you knew my grandfather, you knew my dad, and you know what, I need to know you now. And this isn't a religious knee-jerk prayer on Jacob's part. He's had a few of those already. It's a cry for help from someone who knows he doesn't deserve it, because look at verse 10. He says, I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have showed unto your servant. That phrase, I am not worthy of the least of all your mercies, literally it means I am less than all the mercies and all the faithfulness. The mercies refers to God's loyal love. His truth is refers to his faithfulness. So he says, I am less than all the, all the mercies. If we measure up what I've done and what you've done. I, I am so far less. And Jacob confesses that his behavior toward God has not measured up to God's behavior toward him. That's a good place to start, isn't it? This is where a relationship with God starts. All of us fall so far short in our love and faithfulness to him in comparison to his love and faithfulness toward us. But all of us don't like to recognize it. <laughs> in our pride, sometimes we shake our fist at God and say, you've not been as loving and faithful as, as I've been, you know? And people say it all the time. I, I don't know about you, did you see the video that's that been going around social media about Stephen Fry? He's an atheist, and he's posted a video. What would you say to God if you saw him? And, I mean, and he just goes off on God pretty much, you know. And, and it's cool because he has a British accent, so he must be smart. But he, he says, you know, why did you make such a bad world, you know? He said, if I was, why did you, know, why did you mess up so bad, you know? And when we're doing that, when we come to places, we say, I'm a whole lot smarter than God. <laughs> were I in charge, I would have done it that way. Good thing you're not in charge. We say that you know, I I just I, I've been faithful, you know. I went to church twice this year. <laughs> or, or another way, we, we sometimes we subtly seek to put God in our debt by doing good things. We, God, you got you got to be good to me. I, I've been doing, being good, you know. You know, I, I was nice to my wife three days this week, you know. And see what God is not. The thing is, is that we, 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 we kind of, we throw that in God's face. You know, you've not been as good as we are and God's going, I'm not even looking for you to be good. What I'm looking for is honest humility. Honest humility. The honest humility that Jacob shows here that he might shower his grace, his unmerited favor upon the undeserving. And that's the gospel. That's, that's why it's good news, you know? It's good news. You know, I acknowledge that I haven't done my part, but that God has done his And therefore, I deserve nothing. And I cast off all my faith in my own goodness, and I place it in God himself who died for me on the cross for that. And then God, in his grace, washes me clean and makes me his child. As you read in our scripture reading, he clothes me in his righteousness, which is far superior to any of my own perceived righteousness. Have you come to the end of yourself like Jacob does here? You just go, you know what? I came across this river with my staff. It's all i had, and look at what you've done for me. I don't deserve any of it. I haven't measured up to that at all. So in light of that recognized confession, he cries out to God. He asks God to rescue him from his brother. Deliver me, I pray you, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him. You know, upon the basis of God's grace and his own confessed lack, Jacob makes this request. And we might be tempted to say, how dare he? You know? How about Jacob say, you know what, God? i uh, I, I got to get my act together. You know, I, I'm going to do better. You know? But I don't, I don't think the Lord is necessarily looking for that from us. I think he's looking for us to just come to a place and go, oh, Lord, I'm bankrupt. I need you. I need you. And that's what Jacob does. Rather than say, how dare he? The truth is, how dare he not? It's his only hope. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Beautiful truth. So opposite of how we think. Did you know in Jacob, in this request, there's there's no pretense. He's brutally honest with God. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I'm afraid of what he's gonna do to my wife. I'm afraid of what he's gonna do to my kids. I'm afraid of what he's gonna do to me. I need you to rescue me. Being brutally honest with God is the best place to be. And Jacob rises up a little bit here and he reminds God of his promise. You said, I will surely do you good and make your seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. You know, so much of prayer is simply reminding God of his promises. Now it's not because God forgets, you know, it's not like he's up there going, what did you say? You know, and, and, you know, oh, that's right. I said, I take care of you. Okay. You know, that's not why we, we remind God of his promises. God doesn't forget, but we tend to stand on other sources of hope, don't we? And when we remind God of his promises, it reminds us of his promises. And, and we find a place to stand firmly, you know? Jacob had connived and swindled his way to prosperity, but now he makes it clear that none of those options are working right now. His best hope is God's promise, God's promise to him. And you know, it's interesting. He doesn't go to the promise of that I'll take care of you, but he goes to the covenant promise, That he would make him and his descendants like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Do you know this is the first time he's acknowledged the spiritual blessing God gave him? First time. That his life was more than all the stuff he was chasing after and wanting to get, you know? Give me the birthright, you know, Esau. You know, I want the blessing from dad. This is the first time he finally comes to the place and goes, God has a spiritual purpose for me. He has a spiritual plan for me. It goes beyond just the stuff I want. And, and I think that's important because sometimes we get bogged down in the temporary stuff. You know, you know. God shall supply all my needs through his riches and glory. So, you know, true. But we forget our spiritual inheritance as well. That we're here as ambassadors for God's kingdom. That the only thing we can take to heaven with us are people and our task is to do so. You know, what's the most important thing to us? Because in the end, God may end up taking away some of the things that We look at it as God supplying all my needs in order that someone else might be taken with us to heaven. You just never know what the Lord might do. And while I think it's important that we stand on those promises, it's why God gives them to us to remember that God has spiritual purposes for us, spiritual promises, and we have a spiritual inheritance. Well, Jacob, he starts off with damage control. He says, this is a bad plan. I'm going to go cry out to the Lord. And he cries out to the Lord. And in crying out to the Lord, he, he, he says, okay, I'm going to leave it there. But he moves from that place of, of bringing it to the Lord. And notice in verse 13, and he lodged there that same night. So he's, he's, he's okay, this is what we're going to do. Trust the Lord, he lodges there. Call him. So a short and definite period of time. And then he takes action. <laughs> Jacob was not used to trusting God and waiting. So he comes up with a plan when nothing miraculous happens right away. And so it says, And he took of that which came to his hand a present for Esau, his brother, 200 she-goats and 20 he-goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milch camels with their colts, 40 kine and 10 bulls and 20 she-donkeys and 10 foals. And he delivered them into the hand of his servants. Every drove by themselves. So all these numbers that I've listed, he actually sets them apart. So they're each in their own group. And he brings them each in their own group to his servants. And he says to his servants, listen, go over the river now, pass over before me, and put a space between each of these groups of animals, drove after drove, verse 17. And he commanded the foremost saying, when Esau, my brother, meets you, and he asks you saying, whose are you? Who do you belong to? And where are you going? And where are these before you? Who do the animals belong to? Who do you belong to? Then you shall say, Well, they are your servant Jacob's. It's a present sent unto my lord Esau. And behold, also, he's behind us. And so the idea is, you know, the animals come up and it's a present for Esau. And and Jacob's right behind us. Oh, good. I mean, you know, but then what's going to happen? Then the next one will be there. And so commanded he the second, verse 19, and the third, and all that followed the drove, saying, On this manner shall you speak unto Esau when you find him. So each group is supposed to say, Oh, these are a present for you. Jacob's right behind. And the next group, oh, there's a present, you know. Each group keeps saying that, and the idea is he's hoping to butter up Esau a little bit. And he explains in verse 20, and, you, and say you moreover, behold, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, that's Jacob, I will appease him. The word there is the same word for atonement. It means covering. I will atone for my sins is what he's saying with the present that goes before me. And then afterward, I will see his face or he will, he'll lift up my head, Okay. Peradventure, he will accept of me. Well, (laughs) my heart goes out to Jacob because how many of us have done this, you know? God, I give you my problem. And then 20 minutes later, we take it back and try to fix it ourselves, right? George Mueller, if you've never read about George Mueller, you need to, amazing man of God. Uh, He was a great man of faith and prayer. And he was asked what was the most important part of prayer. And he replied, the 15 minutes after I've said amen. The 15 minutes after I've said amen. Amen profound. Because it's at that moment, we say, oh, Jesus, we lay it at your feet. And we go, okay, you're going to do something with that? It's been like seven minutes, Lord, because <laughs> we, we still want to take it back. And the temptation is to do that. Psalm 2714, I'm just going to read it to you real quick. David, a beautiful Psalm, when he says at the very end, in the last verse, Psalm 2714, he says these beautiful words, wait on the Lord, be of a good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait I say on the Lord. <laughs> wait on the Lord. Be of a courage. He'll strengthen your heart. And don't forget wait, I say on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Jacob tries to manipulate the situation, but even that's not a very good plan. And so he grows restless. Verse 21. So went the present over before him, and himself lodged that night in the company, so where the family still was. But he rose up that night, and he took his two wives and his two women servants and his 11 sons, and he passed over the four Jabok, and he took them and sent them over the brook and sent over all that he had. That's Jabok. The hill is very important. That's Penuel. That's where he wrestles with God, which we're going to get to in a second. So he crosses over from one side to the other, and he takes all that was wife and his kids and everything, and they go over to the other side. And, you know, and again, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, you know, if, if you're going to go do that, they have no protection now. The river, as you can see, is very wide. In fact, uh, in many parts of where the j goes, there's these huge drop-offs. So it's not safe to try to go across because it's very deep. The currents are very strong. There's only a few places where you can ford this river. And so I would think you would want to stay on the other side of the river if you're trying to figure out an escape plan. This Jacob's just not comfortable with what he's decided to do. So, so he, get, he has zero peace. He gets his family over the river in order that he might be alone to come up with a solution. There he is. Verse 24 comes and says, and Jacob was left alone. Semicolon, which again, he's there alone for a while. I don't think Jacob's about to cut and run. He had done that before though. So I don't know. It's he sends everybody off and he thinks, if I could, man, I could just go right now and get away because that's what he'd done in the past, right? I don't think he's going to do that because his prayer for his family, his concern for his family and his prayer seems very sincere. You can take the, oh, good, you got it off, okay. Uh, But it was an option to just cut and run. And while Jacob wrestled with whatever options he was contemplating, maybe I can try this. No, it's not going to work. Maybe I can try this. At that point, God says, enough is enough. It's time for a cage match, bro. You know, I, I, I'm done. We're, done. we're done. We're done contemplating. We're done scheming. And so notice it says, there wrestled a man with him. It does not say, and Jacob wrestled with man. There are those who try to take this passage and spiritualize it, spiritualize it and say, Jacob wrestled in prayer with God. Listen, no, no, no. Jacob does not initiate this contemplation. Conflict, okay? He is sitting there, you know, in, in, the, in the thinker pose, you know, go, what do I do? And all of a sudden, somebody comes crashing out of the bushes, and I don't know, oh, I don't know, maybe he doesn't, maybe they maybe he taunts him at first, I don't know, you know, maybe he said something about his mom, I don't know. But he, he comes out, and, and, and at some point, they start to tussle, they start to fight, they start to scrap, okay? And the initiator of the conflict is God, okay? And there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. The implication of those words that all of a sudden there came this man that wrestled with him is that Jacob wasn't expecting it. Jacob was not expecting it.
1: God is the one who had always been faithful to Jacob. Even when Jacob connived and cheated, God was always there asking Jacob to repent. Jacob now sees the importance of a relationship with God. This is where we all need to be. But who is the man that wrestles with Jacob now? Join us tomorrow to find out. But if you have questions or would like prayer concerning this or for anything at all, please reach out to us. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando.